transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0062, Straight Out of Your Mama. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae, and I'm here to tell you this podcast may possibly contain um, explicit language, so be aware of that. On today's episode, we will have a fancy new beverage and cocktail corner. Uh, We have another phone call, I believe, from Western Warlock again. I think he's dropping us another clue. I haven't listened to it, Um, so we'll see about that. We may have a a return guest showing up. I don't know. Um, She's not here yet, and it is about 25 minutes after we were supposed to start, and no word from her. Although, um, I'm looking at my phone, and it says that she did read the message I sent to her. We have all of this and more, and then in feature presentation, we will be talking about the film Straight Out of Compton. Really, I think, hits home for a lot of us. So let's head up to the VIP booth at the top of the cantina and get today's show started. Sitting across from me, she's the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club. She says that roles are now reversed. That's the kind of land we live in. Her name is Heathen. Hello. Also joining us, his name is Beer Maker Matt. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> what up? So, uh, you, uh, so you said your last beer you made, uh, you said it... Maybe the uh, the carbonation or something, the fermentation didn't didn't uh, work out right. You got anything else, or did you uh, just bottle that up for a little while longer and see if it righted itself? Yeah, it's still sitting in in a storage closet, continuing to ferment. So we'll see. Maybe in another month or so, I'll pop one of those open and and see if it's gotten any better. But I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly joining us in a little bit is uh, Peanut if she makes it here. Uh, she was pretty excited to talk about this movie uh, later in feature presentation. Uh, but for now, I want to talk... She'll always be penis to me. I want to talk about, uh, <laughs> if you are new to the show, uh, anytime you hear a sound about hitting a baby, you drink along with us. So I'm going to go ahead and hit the sound now. Uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. And we can have our beverages. So uh, my sipping beverage today, I am drinking uh, natural ice. Not out of my 40, but out of a fancy wine cup. Because this is the way to truly enjoy your malt beverage. Look at that color. That's out of your, like, goblet, or what do they call it? The, the gangsters? It's all jeweled up. 
Yeah, but this one isn't jeweled up. This is like a, a mini goblet. <laughs> it's fancy. It's got writing on it. Mm. And that, yeah, that that naughty, that naughty ice is just as good as I remembered. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, I thought this was higher alcohol content. It's only like 5.9 or something. I must have been thinking of uh, Ice House or something. I think Ice House maybe was the high the high uh, alcohol percentage ones. Well, at least yours is still in glass. <laughs> that one's a plastic. So what's your uh, sip and beverage, Matt? My, my fine malt liquor. Mm-hmm. My my Mickey. The only thing it's missing is the uh, the paper bag. Yeah. It, don't those... Are, oh, no. I'm thinking of Hornsby's, I think, that have the things written on the cap. The Mickey's don't have written on the cap, nah. right? That's the Hornsby's. Uh, the ciders. I thought maybe they did, though. So I think I got them confused. I was thinking thinking hornsby's maybe i wanted so heathen what's your sip and beverage um i just have a vintage chardonnay that came out of a box it's a vintage chardonnay that came out of a box yeah is it the same special same vintage as last week yeah <laughs> all right so um but i'm, I'm drinking it out of a sam adams glass okay so we're on we're, yeah you're right the rolls are all reversed just like you said i'm getting it in the butt tonight <laughs> so I'm going to play this message I believe this is from Western Warlock The world's elite climate scientists Embarked on a study of the fastest Warming place on earth Before it's too late uh, I, Carbon What? Uh, it's the world's elite uh, carb, uh, Something scientist um, Studying The fastest heating place on earth Let's listen to it again. The world's elite climate scientists climate embarked scientists. on a study of the fastest warming place on Earth before it's too late. So, I was trying to decide if this was a documentary or a real movie, but because he said before it's too late, makes me think it might be a real movie yeah. and not a documentary. The iceberg? Um, yeah, well, there is chasing ice. Um... The warmest place on earth, though. I don't know. Always talking about the warmest place on earth. Or the, no, it's the place that's um, heating up the quickest, right? The world's elite climate scientists embarked on a study of the fastest warming place on yeah, earth. Yeah, the fastest warming, warming place. So, yeah, those are going to be the Arctic poles, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't where know. Where the polar bears live. Yeah, I don't know uh, any of those movies where they go and, and they do that, <laughs> other than. Like I said, chasing ice, but I don't think chasing ice is on the Arctic poles. I, I don't know the other ones. Hmm. Stumped us again. Hmm. Yeah, and you probably won't give us an answer again, like a jerk. What? Well, if it's an older one, because he's doing these off of Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. What was that? Um. We we've talked about this movie before on this podcast. Day after tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Because they start off in the Arctic. Do they? I can't remember. I actually showed that, that movie to my class, not because I thought it was a good movie, but because it had, um, is well, for once, an action movie, so the dialogue's usually pretty easy. There's not that much dialogue. And we did a, we were doing a chapter on, um, like, weather events. Yeah. So it was useful for... Because they have a lot of different weather events in that movie, but I can't remember... Um, I can't remember... Uh, anything really about it other than like the Statue of Liberty getting crushed by a tidal wave or something like that. <laughs> they were all freezing in the library. They had to fight off wolves. Hmm. 
Yeah, really, even though I've seen this movie like nine times, I don't remember it. It was very traumatizing to me. Yeah, that's right. You said you were scared of that movie. I just thought the movie was was pretty poopy. All right, he then. (laughs) Ready to do some news? I am. Helen Back is a new animated movie that's going to come out. What's it called? Hell and Back. Hell and Back. It's an animated movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a bunch of adorable yet foul-mouthed animated figures that curse pretty much the entire time of the movie. It's definitely not for children to mm-hmm. see. Okay. Um, it looks like a, a pretty good movie for adults. Definitely not something for children. Um so I think we should all go see it. It's coming out October 2nd. Okay, so you'll be able to see that before the Bradley Cooper movie. And they encounter all kinds of demons and the devil himself. And apparently hell has never been hotter. Hmm. So what's the plot? Um, the, I mean, just go- that they... Uh, it's a, it, Are they it's a bunch of figure figures that go on an adventure through hell. Okay. And... They are, you know, encounter all kinds of demons. Sounds like it might be like a Tim Burton kind of. Except for the swearing. Yeah. His his yeah. his are pretty uh, family friendly, like Frank and Weenie. That almost made me cry. <laughs> all right. It's called the Hell and Back. Okay. The Rock is making a movie that's based on a beloved Disney ride. Yeah, I, di- I didn't read what he's doing, though. I read the headline, so go ahead and, and hit us with that. What what movie is he doing? Space Mountain. It's called uh, Jungle Cruise. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disney is taking uh, an interesting gamble with this movie because of their past um, movies with, uh, like, Tomorrowland and Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, Pirates of the Caribbean's done well. Right, but um, they're... The Eddie Murphy's Haunted Mansion yeah. and Tomorrowland didn't. Mm-hmm. So they're taking a huge gamble with this Jungle Cruise movie based on the popular Disney themed. They did the. Ride I, they did a from country. 1955. They did a Country Bears movie, right? Didn't they? Wasn't that kind of yeah. like? I really yeah. liked that movie. Did, didn't that just come and go like the Eddie Murphy's Haunted Mansion? It just. I came really out liked and then... that movie. I can't remember the name of it, but I I watched it and liked it. Hmm. Probably so, wasn't very good. <laughs> so what? <laughs> There's not really much talking about like what the the movie is going to be about. Just that it's him, and the movie is going to be about the ride. Well, we don't know if it'll be about the ride. Like the Pirates of the Caribbean really isn't about the ride. Um, and then when all, when the game companies were starting to come into it and they made Battleship, like no one knew what Battleship was going to be about. Then they were supposed to make a movie for uh, Monopoly, I believe it was. But I think after Battleship, they're like, they, I don't know. Yeah, there's no idea of what direction the movie's yeah. going to go. It'll be like Rambo, but for kids. Just a guess. I have no idea. Although I was reading, I was showing you uh, the the new footage that they've shown of the Jungle Book live action movie, the John Favreau one. People are saying the footage for it uh, is looking really good. So that's. A, I don't know how interested I am in. Seeing. I'm not interested in anything that's ever any good. 
Well, I wasn't really interested in the Jungle Book to begin with, so... Why? I don't know. It just you don't wasn't... like naked boys? I liked Baloo, <laughs> and I liked the tiger, but that was about it. Con. Yeah. Con, uh, the con was, yeah. Did you like Tailspin? You see, I don't even... No? It, it was unmemorable to me. I was Unremarkable. too busy dancing and singing and doing drama than to be watching cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, McCarthy's clothing line is finally here. It's called Melissa McCarthy 7-7. So this is a follow-up to uh, something you reported on earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of neat because the sizes run from 4 to 28, so it's not a plus size yeah, four is pretty line. Small-ish. It's for everybody. Um, I thought you were going to say they do... run from large to jumbo, so that's not as funny. <laughs> Shut up. She wants to do away with the plus side label because she says, you know, women come of all sizes. Women 70... do come in all sizes. I can attest to that. <laughs> 70% of women in the United States are 14 and above, and that's technically plus size. Um, she said, you're taking the biggest category of the people and telling them you're not really worthy, and she found it really strange. She's also found it really bad for business, and it didn't make a lot of sense number-wise. I thought it was neat, again, because everybody can benefit from the clothing line. I took a look at the clothes, and I think it it's a really neat line, and I definitely want to wear some of the clothes. Mm-hmm. Um and then one thing that she said was it's like you're open you open a restaurant and you say we are primarily going to serve people that don't eat you know cuz uh, a lot of people are heavy like like she said 70% of the women are 14 and over yeah, that's and why a lot have... of the clothing lines they only um you're only up to a size 12 either you're de- otherwise you're dealing with like Lane Bryant or something Well that's like what I was that. going to say that's why they have special stores Lane Bryant or um I can't remember the other one for women. And then, you know, big and husky for men. Or whatever they're called. Big and tall. Yeah. Squat and husky. So, I, I mean, there's been all sorts of, like, little kind of things that clothing companies have tried over the last couple of years to kind of fill that niche. And I've seen a few, th- a few clothing lines that do, like, a one-size-fits-many kind of you know, clothing line. So oh, yeah. well, those it, are like... they show how it fits like every different size a little bit differently, but you know, the, the shirts that, and stuff. I don't think that's going to work. I, I thought, I think this is going to be a better idea because there's going to be one person that likes the outfit on a skinny person and they can get that same outfit as a heavier person or vice versa because sometimes even on the heavier set women i go wow it's a really cute outfit and i can't find that in my size or even the size four at the you know five seven nine or um you know whatever store i can't yeah you know because i'm too curvy for um what american eagle uh, wet seal. Wet seal is the is the skinny one. Yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off the well, podcast ago, real quick and put this on pause, just like last week. So we did do our magic trick like last week, and we have Peanut in here with us. She was wandering around, <laughs> being chased by uh, waterfowl, is what they call them. I love those things. They're so freaking weird. Yeah, they're, they. Uh, I tried to get in a staring contest with one once, and it didn't work. It just made me feel like I was getting my slow soul slowly drained. 
Yeah, that's not. You gotta stay in your league. Um, yeah, I was just gonna at the end of your story, uh, he then all I was gonna say is it was wasn't really related, but speaking, but speaking, I feel like I should tell a story. I know. I was like, are you? Is that our new? <laughs> but um, speaking of Melissa McCarthy, do you see uh, they've released uh, the footage of Chris Hemsworth in the new Ghostbusters movie? Mm-hmm. He looks adorable. Yeah. <laughs> He looks like a little Muppet. Yeah, he always looks adorable. <laughs> so, um, I guess we'll get in. Oh, what's your sipping beverage there, Peanut? Mm, it was pink, so I uh, grabbed it. That's, that's fine to hit this baby. Jack Daniels. Down Home Punch. Okay, I thought it said Downtown Punch, which would really fit the theme of the <laughs> podcast, but I guess Down well, Home Punch. it is for today. <laughs> hmm? It is for today. Yeah. All right, well, let's head into Cocktail Corner and play with our new cocktail. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So we often do a cocktail that is themed with the movie we saw. Beer maker Matt had suggested doing gin and juice, which was a good mm-hmm. idea. Well, um, he is doing a gin and juice. He's doing ginger ale and juice. Yeah. <laughs> he has all kinds of stuff going on. Well, that's not what we're doing in Cocktail Corner, though. No. So, um, ginger ale and juice is not really the same thing. Well, but. I like he's I like his thinking outside the box, because he's not a gin drinker no, at all. Uh, uh. And we, we've done... I gin. end up drinking all of his gin. We've done gin before. So, uh, we're doing, when I was at the store earlier this week, I saw that they had hard root beer. And I wanted to do that as a cocktail because it's hard, like the streets of Compton and the men that grew up there. And easy. Easy. Mostly easy. Boys in in the hood are always hard, just like this root beer. So Matt's going to go ahead and crack open. This is called uh, Coney Island Hard Root Beer, something like that. I was reading about it uh, by chance today. I was looking through some news, and apparently... Uh, I don't remember if it was Philadelphia or whatever, but earlier in the summer, uh, the city could not keep hard root beer stocked in the shelves. They were going crazy for it. And this distributor was saying he hasn't seen anything like this since 2009 when Mike's Hard Lemonade first came out, which sold 2 million cases its first year. Which is very um, close to the, the Jack Daniels yeah. downtown punch. <laughs> so um, I was reading there is there was another popular kind of hard root beer that came out first called uh, This Isn't Your Dad's Root Beer. That root beer was actually 19.3%, which is about as strong as wine. That's really strong. And there's a couple, because I was going to do um, a news about it after you left lunch today. And there's there's smells like root a couple yeah. different breweries that have it too, around 19% alcohol. Um, and so this company, which I was reading, it seemed like from what I got, this is actually made by Sam Adams, but it's in the same way that like Budweiser or, um, uh, Miller Coors, whatever, like Blue Moon has their own website. Like they try not to relate them. So I think this is made by, um, by Sam Adams, but they, but they, it's totally separate. I couldn't find anything on the packaging and they were saying that they were waiting to see, they just noticed that there was this craze going on. So they jumped in to try to do this. The distributor that said he'd never seen anything like this, he says, I don't even know if we'll be talking about hard root beer in two years. It just might be a summer fad for this year. Um, the guy, I, so there was a story in the Wall Street Journal, and then there was another story, and the guy was kind of saying, like, um, 
I could maybe drink a pint of this, and that would be the most if I could. Even if that, like, might be something I pour. It's really sweet. Yeah, might be something mm-hmm. I pour in my ice cream or. Yeah, that when we checked out, um, the checker said, "Oh, you guys are getting this." My twin brother bought some, and and he said it was really good. And I said it might be really interesting to make a root beer float with it. Root so. beer float, yeah, yeah. 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 That's probably what we'll end up doing with it because I like root beer floats. Um, Heathen, what were we going to toast to? Um, you were going to toast to you reading a book. And- oh, <laughs> yeah. We didn't really have anything to toast to this week. I was I was going to toast to that I finally started reading American Gods. I bought it. Um, You're going to love it yeah. so much. I bought it uh, at Christmas time, so almost going on a year now but i've been reading about it for a long time and i think they're making a showtime show out of it so i've had it on my uh, shelf for a year and i was like okay uh, one night i really couldn't a year since christmas yeah eight months six months nine months yeah um six months it's not june you, well whatever good good banking Give or there. take a day um <laughs> i'm off of work so anyway i'm toasting that i finally started reading american gods cheers <laughs> so basically tastes like root beer yeah tastes like root beer <laughs> i like it a lot yeah yeah i don't like my alcohol to taste no like alcohol. this would get penis in a lot of trouble <laughs> <laughs> i mean because of the sweetness i don't know I if i could i thought we were gonna change my nickname i thought we voted on that <laughs> that we were gonna change it oh to what i don't know i just call it peanut i know i ended up last time okay i'll just calling it pee bag or something by the end but (laughs) but i think peanut is the better one to stick with because i I can remember it oh you know what i'm gonna call you so (laughs) so so what do you think about it heathen it tastes like root beer Mm -hmm. i don't taste any alcohol which would be very dangerous I think you should, if you mixed it, I think it would be a good, um, like a drop shot. Yeah. Put some Jaeger in that. Mm-hmm. So like Matt was asking before uh, the podcast, if Maybe they just, Jaeger, if they else. just took some root beer and added alcohol and I said, no, they actually brew it like a beer and they just add flavors that you get in, in, mm-hmm. in root beer. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to do cause to get the the sweetness of the root beer and not have the alcohol mm-hmm. just go completely nuts because of all the sugar i can't it's, taste any alcohol at all um the guy that was talking about that was comparing the the more expensive one to this one he said they both really even the one that was 19 percent, he said it really just tasted like root beer he said that one tasted more vanilla e he said this one that we're drinking tasted a little bit more of a hint of licorice so this one had a little bit more of a head on it, which he said was his favorite part, yeah. was, was the head tasted good. But, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we could definitely experiment I could with definitely this do and... a root beer float with this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think we should make a spiked root beer float with maybe, I don't know, you know how we did the... Um, the eggnog shake. The eggnog shake or something like that. Mm-hmm. Let's head into feature presentation. Feature, 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 feature,
So every week in feature presentation, we take a film we saw with the Sierra Nevada Movie Club, and then we use it as a jumping off point for conversations, topic starters, and the like. So I'm going to read you a synopsis of this movie straight out of Compton. I'm sure most of you know what this is about, but I will read you uh, what the movie company says it's about. In 1987, five young men, using brutally honest rhymes and hardcore beats, put their frustration and anger about life and the most dangerous place in America into the most powerful weapon they had, their music. Taking us back to where it all began, Straight Outta Compton tells the true story of how these cultural rebels, armed only with their lyrics, swagger, bravado, and raw talent, stood up to the authorities that meant to keep them down and form the world's most dangerous group, NWA. As they spoke the truth that no one had before and experienced life in the hood, their voices, their voice ignited a social revolution that is still reverberating today. We were watching, Heathen and I were watching uh, Why with Hannibal Burris, and um, he was uh, in Melrose asking people if uh, who, who they, what, what were they in favor of more, um, NWA or the NRA? And no one knew NWA, and then he just kept asking like these older white women, do you know what NWA stands for? And they kept, of course, they kept saying no, and he just kept saying, "We'll go home and look it up." <laughs> yeah, that was that was really funny. They were like, "Do NWA or NRA?" So um, I'm going to read a little bit of what I researched on here, and we can talk about this. Just anyone, just jump in at any time uh, during this part, or later on when I bring up other things. Well, the guy even said uh, the NWA does like the NRA. That's yeah. One Hannibal guy was person. like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was one guy, he said, NRA, I'm from Texas. I like guns. And he oh, said, yeah. well, NWA likes guns too. And he's like, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> At one point, the script called for a scene between Dre and Eminem where Eminem would be portrayed at the beginning of his career being discovered by Dre. Producers even courted actor Ansel Igort to play the Detroit rapper, but the script was changed and no scene was ever shot. So we were talking about earlier that there was a lot of people in the movie. I was saying how um, I was trying to look up one guy. He was the white record producer that Ice Ice Cube went to meet, and he looked really familiar. So I was going through the cast, and I saw that uh, that Warren G was in the movie somewhere, although I don't remember seeing him. They had a young Warren G and then a regular day Warren G, and then there was someone else um, that I don't remember them talking about in the movie. But anyway, so yeah, they did they did put in a lot of people in there, but not not Eminem. Um, well, at least not until the end where they had the real kind of footage. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, so uh, the what's the name of uh, Ice Cube's son? O'Shea, something O'Shea. He, uh, he prepared for two years to portray the role of his father, um, partially because he didn't want the appearance of nepotism in the casting decision. Um, he wasn't comfortable with playing his father at first, and when he was first cast, he didn't really, kind of didn't want to do it. But after doing the training and um, getting together with some acting coaches, he says that he didn't want anyone else to ever play his father in the movie. That had to be him, which makes sense because he was the pretty much the one that looked just, well, really similar. Anyway, you could you could tell right away, other than he had pretty eyes. It, yeah, there was a little bit of the the look to him, but it, I, to me, it was more the mannerisms and the actual voice. There's a few things he said that was like, if I close my eyes, I could have swore that was his dad. And his yeah. uh, the the crooked right in the beginning, I, I said to Heather because he had kind of that crooked or that half smile. 
Where he only smiles like, you know, half the I don't think the movie would have been as good if it would have been anybody else because I think that really tied the movie together was that it was his son because you really needed somebody that everybody could relate to. It really looked like him and it took you back. So Easy es son, um, he auditioned for the role of his father, but according to Ice Cube, it didn't work out. And Little Easy was upset at first, but eventually became involved in coaching the actor that did play Easy e Jason Mitchell. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Peanut called out the Jerry Curl wigs. Um, those were those are amazing wigs. They were fifteen thousand dollars each wig. Oh wow! Um, this I thought was kind of interesting. The actors re-recorded NWA straight out of Compton, the entire album, uh, with producer Harvey, Harvey Mason Jr. and that was to help them get into character. Nice. And um, this was the biggest opening ever for a musical biopic with a $56.1 million opening beating out Walk the Line from 2005, which is something was my first thing I was going to talk about. We, we showed up a little bit late, like as the previews were playing, and the whole theater was packed. And I felt like I was in a Marvel movie or something. I did not expect this movie to be that popular, especially in Reno, which doesn't oh, have a whole... Night. Yeah. Which, yeah, there's not a whole lot of diversity in Reno. And um, I just really, you know, I, I, I always want to see a lot of these sort of, wouldn't really call it an art film, but these smaller films like Mr. Holmes and stuff. And we go in and there's six people in the theater. And I thought that it would be, you know, maybe slightly busier than that. But, um, but yeah, it was like, it was one of those situations where people were having to sit in the very first row of the theater because um, it was so busy. And the thing, that, and it was the later movie too. Yeah. And I told he then I said I don't really care. There's so many people in here; it'll make it feel like a concert. I was just trying to be excited because it was a lot of young people, but they were actually, for the most part, pretty quiet. They were way quieter than our last experience. For for a bunch of, I'd say most of the people in there were like probably like 22, 23, um, and they were definitely loud during the previews and before the movie started. But they were pretty pretty attentive during the movie itself. I think it speaks to the quality of the movie. That it's engrossing and that you're involved in it and you don't have time to really get outside of the movie. I remember I was talking to Emily about it, but it was it was little whispers like, oh my god, Suge Knight's showing up. Yeah. Watch out for Suge Knight. <laughs> yeah, I was like the only one talking, which is which is weird since I complain about it so much. I kept I kept talking to yeah, Ethan about stuff, and then I kept wanting to sing all the well, not all actually. There's a lot of songs I didn't know, but mm-hmm. yeah. some of the songs made me pretty excited, like when Snoop Dogg came in. Yeah, I was I was uh, singing some lyrics, nobody else was, uh, and I was kind of like looking around, going, nobody knows any of this music because it's pretty old. Well, yeah, I like it's. Yeah. I, knew, I knew the lyrics. I knew No Vaseline. I, of course, knew Straight Outta Compton. Well, but I don't know the whole thing straight through. But the crazier lines from No Vaseline, I knew they were coming. Yeah. <laughs> and I was mouthing them. I was excited. Yeah, there, there was there was quite a few that I, I just somehow missed. But yeah, I knew. You know, I knew a few. Of course, um, maybe I'll get to... Well, I'll, I'll wait on a little bit. So why do you think... Uh, is this just another example of... of Hollywood finding out that they don't need to keep making the same movie and there are niches for younger people or um, they don't need to just keep making um, movies for white male 28-year-olds? Is that why this movie was so popular? Well, I think this one was important because it was kind of the birth of rap 
and the, a lot of people I wouldn't say are it was into the birth rap. of rap, but it was yeah. it was definitely a new generation in rap. Um, and I, I I mean, speaking as somebody who grew up in that era, listening to to a lot of that music, it was kind of nostalgic for me, and it was kind of amazing that there was a lot of younger people in the audience that I know probably had no idea you know about half of the stuff that was going on so it was all new for them but i mean no I, I that was it pretty was... much the birth of rap no no, no. i think That's so about eight years yeah. nine years later they birth were... of rap was like sugar hill gang and stuff well, like I mean, already, I mean, like, there were other already rap genres it was just a new rap genre well i think what it was the, the ghetto of... rap is what i'm talking about like most, i guess most original rap was ghetto rap but I think what it was, it was, it was the birth of kind of a black backlash against authority. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Political because rap, maybe. Political rap, yeah. Okay. It was conscious. Not really conscious because it was barely violent, really misogynistic, really kind of grating I mean, to listen to as a woman, but it was more honest. There had to be stuff. a little bit, at least, of some underground stuff going on because in the film, um, Lorenzo says, like, don't be playing into that hard shit. We want to be yeah. doing stuff, getting the girls... <laughs> in here yeah. and talking about we want, we want to talk about sex and girls we don't want to talk about streets and guns yeah. so you know there might have been a little bit going on that just wasn't maybe commercialized yet i think the key to that was getting a white producer i think that it was a great example of the logistics of why how black men weren't listened to in that time period they needed a white man to get them representation to get them in the door well that was his pitch in the movie and it it was true yeah he uh the the guy well obviously just just i mean this would be an obvious thing but the the real life um whatever the name of the manager larry he said that he didn't like how he's represented in this movie and uh (laughs) they asked him so what's your side of things and he said uh well easy E's not here to tell his side of things so why do i have to that was basically his answer (laughs) but it reminded me kind of a lot because as we talked about when we did the beach boys movie that it's interesting that paul giamatti played um a psychologist for for uh, brian wilson and just a few months later plays a manager for nwa but it was some ways a similar character where he was just sort of a little bit shifty, a little bit in it for himself, a little bit, but... Yeah, I think in this one, he was definitely more kind of middle of the road, although towards the end, you definitely kind of see he took advantage of the situation. But I think in the beginning, you could definitely see that he uh, at least was portrayed to, to yeah. have more of a, an interest in the movement and you know what they could accomplish. Yeah, he opened up a lot of doors for them, and that was his pitch, and it, and it worked. And they were even making fun of him, like, "What's what's he out? What's Mister Drummond out there doing?" And he's he's like, "He's doing all this for us. What are you What are you guys doing?" Yeah. Like, he's got us this. He's got us that. Um, the thing is that Easy A was awfully outraged for the kind of lifestyle he was living before. Like, the first scene in the movie starting to kill somebody's mom oh, and yeah. all of a sudden he's mad he's like you stole some of my money you yeah. did shady accounting i'm like <laughs> shit sorry <laughs> you pulled worse shit on a tuesday <laughs> like i i i Rise think that fall. it's kind of i think it's kind of why easy e and what was his name the why they were so attracted to each other? Why Larry. they meshed, Larry? Yeah. They meshed so well because they kind of played the same game and they mm-hmm. kind of had the same motivation and they thought the same way. Yeah, um, and I was thinking during the movie for a lot of this, if this movie had not been based on a real life 
thing, real events, a lot of it seemed like it would be unbelievable, like motivations and people getting pissed off, like you're saying over certain things and, and just the way certain people were treated. And then it sort of bothered me in some ways where they just seemed like they went out of the way to make like some of these cops, um, one dimensional and like every white guy had to be a bad guy. But then I was thinking, but that's really a lot of how it happens. I, I can't say that I've ever dealt with it like they did, but in high school when I had longer hair and wore like leather jackets, I got, um, my friend, uh, uh, Kellen and I got, uh, uh, the little guy in the story. They accused us of shoplifting. We had to empty out our pockets and everything in the parking lot. We didn't have anything. Uh, my other friend and I got kicked out. you were labeled as a handbanger. Another friend and I got kicked out of a county fair. After we just arrived, they said that we were in there earlier and that we had started trouble and we had just gotten there. So when I was like 16 or 17. Uh, there was one time I got dropped off uh, by the bus. And this is a small town, Placerville. Dropped off on the bus uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. I was walking to my house. A police car pulled over and asked me where I was going. And there's another time my friend Kelly and I were hanging out in front of my house and a police car came and shined the lights on. So we, we didn't even know it was a police car. The lights were shining right in our eyes and it was at night. So we were kind of afraid of what was happening. So we started backing up and then this loud female voice says, stop moving. Put your hands where I can see them. Again, made us empty out all our pockets, asked us what we were doing, said this, kind of like in the movies, like, this is where I live. They're like, no, you don't. I said, I live right there. And they're like, why are you not in your house? I said, because this is my house. I can't be in front of my house. So again, it wasn't as bad. I mean, I wasn't yeah. thrown to the ground or anything like that. But um, but yeah, cops do act like that. And, and like I said, a, a lot of the movie did seem like that it was a little bit forced or a little bit one-dimensional or people, they were really um, taking shortcuts with motivations. But in real life, people act like that. Two weeks ago, I was um, in the Sun Valley Rainbow Market, and I was grabbing some snacks for the movie, and they did a drug sweep, and they carted everybody in there, and they arrested two people who were out back, (laughs) and they let five white people go. They kept me, a Hispanic lady, and um, a darker lady. I don't think she was Hispanic. She looked a little bit like me, a little ambiguous, and she kept us on there, and he demanded my keys. He sat me on the curb. I sat there for 15, 20 minutes while he searched my car because I didn't have my ID. I had my ID in the car and not with me. And they, like, they paraded the guys that they arrested, like, in front of us to see if, like, we would recognize them or they would look at us. And they just sat us there. And it's humiliating and it's awful because you're sitting on the side of the, the road... Like Where everybody can see curb. you. And I was in a little skirt. I'm sure I looked like a hooker because <laughs> I was like being detained set outside the store. And it's humiliating. And it happens all the time. I think it happens to Hispanic people a lot more than you realize. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I see it when I go into Walmart when they have the mm-hmm. person that checks your uh, receipt on the way out. I never at least in like the last 15 years have I ever had anyone check my receipt but I often watch they do it to me and they have um, I must look guilty like I said like uh, black or Hispanics are always be stopped and they'll look through the look through the card every time and I just think well I usually just think I'm lucky but also you know how shitty that is (laughs) if I have Michael with me I won't get checked but if he's not with me and I go through I all every time I get I get stopped if I have a large uh Thing of of groceries or yeah, if I, my I, basket is full. No, I, I get stopped. I'll go into my chapstick. I get stopped. <laughs> like either yeah. maybe you have shifty eyes or a guilty conscience or something. Because I just look at the guy with confidence and just smile at him, walk by. Just or maybe I just look jug. at him like I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> 
like don't profile me because you know? sometimes it is the eyes I, I think i've told the story before one time where um i had to change planes in japan it was one of those things where you actually get off the plane you walk across the tarmac to another plane and for whatever reason they were doing bag checks again and there was a guy standing on the tarmac and i i looked away just as he went to look at not on, not on purpose but I just happened to look away as he turned to head to look at it. He's like, he's going to stop me now because I look really suspicious. And yeah, he, he made me open up my whole bag, dump it out all in the tarmac, nothing in there. And then just walked away. Like people walking around me, walking through my stuff and everything. And I was just like, what a fucking asshole. But the, the thing, I knew it was coming. Yeah. The thing about this is that it's a pervasive attitude with law enforcement and with white men in authority in general. I remember when I first moved here from Wisconsin, I was really, really dark. I had an afro, and I was going to a probably 98% white school, not very few Hispanics even in Cardiff City, and somebody started writing the N-word on everything I owned, huh. and they told me I did it. <laughs> they said there's no evidence that anybody had access to my things besides me, even including my locker, That's which how could I hide my locker? So they said that there's no evidence that anybody but me could be responsible so they don't feel like pursuing it. And he, the principal got really aggressive. And he was really like, he brought in the other black girl in the school. He's like, well, nobody yells at her and he sat her down in front of me. He's like, does anybody call you the N-word? She's like, no. I'm like, because she's popular. (laughs) And you're new. I'm new and she's popular. And it was just this. There's this attitude of wanting to be in charge and wanting to be... Well, there's even a... So with the whole Ferguson thing, um, there's a cop that left the whole Ferguson PD, uh, and he's been talking a lot about um, what's been going on, especially in the police department and all the issues. And he was saying it's it's almost even worse with the uh, black police officers. Because they, they have to prove themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think they tried to get a little, go out of the way to show that a little bit in the in the movie, a little bit too. Ice Ice Cube addressed that in yeah. Fuck the Police. Yeah. Where yeah. you have to show out for the man, and you see these yeah. hyper aggressive, hyper racist black police officers because they. I my theory is I'm not a psychologist, but my theory is that they're trying to get out of where they came from. And so they're trying to prove themselves and they're trying to work their way up in a positive way. And that's how you do that. Yeah. Black so. is the new white. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a systematic I kind of wish they would have uh, brought Ice-T in for Cop Killer somewhere oh in that God, movie. Yes. Well, that I, that's been, what I was waiting for. I would have loved Ice-T. The movie ended before it got to that part. I know. I was like 94. I know. I know. <laughs> it was only like a no, year it was, No. It wasn't 94. Yeah. It was uh, shortly after the riots. Okay. Um, well, anyway, 94? it had nothing to do with the movie. Riots were 93? No. Were no. I have no idea. I was, <laughs> I was a baby. I was no, they were, they were... See, we were talking about this. Um, and we weren't quite... We can, I can oh. say what year I was in school. Um. But one thing I thought was interesting is they brought up the riots, and that's really good. The only thing I didn't really care for was they didn't bring up the trucker that got beat up. Yeah, nobody talks about him anymore. 
I do. Because it I mean, wasn't there's, hit. He there's was only just driving through. So much they can do. And that really didn't have that much to do with the movie. It was like they, after the movie, they said they didn't go into um, Dr. Dre's uh, throwing chicks downstairs and stuff either. Mm-hmm. And um, they could have mentioned that because he's been beating people since he was in high school. And he's been beating women since he was yeah, in high school. And they um, they left out. They kind of like uh, made these people look glamorous a little it bit. Was, it was going to be one sided. Their executive producer. I'm happy with how balanced it was. The director said there's only so much they could put into the movie. Um, also, one of the girls, not Michelle, but the his girlfriend that, that actually got really beat up, she said that I'm glad they didn't put it in the movie. It would have taken the movie like in a weird context, and it would have been a totally different path. And she said, honestly, like for a movie that was mostly for entertainment, she said, I wouldn't have wanted to see me brutally beaten up on screen. It just would have just taken a weird, weird toll. I mean, you're not going to have a six-hour movie, and um, and it just didn't really fit the tone. Of it, I guess they could have went in a super dark place at, at the end when like his brother dies and and all this stuff, and they could have. Yeah. But again, he if, was if you beaten women before his brother, died. he he beat his the baby mama that he showed him with, and they had an argument in the street, and it wouldn't have been too out of the way to show his character if he'd smacked her like I'm sure he did. Yeah, they life. they could have done like some foreshadowing or a little bit, a little hint would have, of something. I think would have been but right. Would have been more honest. I think you're right by not putting any. Uh, women beating and any of that is probably a good thing. Like none of it is. Well, they could have. Like, I don't maybe think just hint so. it. Maybe. I think but. they could have foreshadowed it. I think they could have made these people come out a little less shiny. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. The only one. They were. They were affected by their environment, and they were not great people. Right. They did messed up stuff. There yeah. were. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. And it was one thing I remembered as soon as it started, too. I told Heath, and I said, oh, yeah, that's right, because I, I remember Ice Cube went to a to a good school. I remember I just learned that a year ago. He was on the Jay Moore podcast, and, and Jay Moore was asking where he went to school. And he was like, yeah, I busted across town to, like, the school's all white kids. And and um, it was interesting. I mean, he kind of said that he, he uh, even though he went to a good school and was fairly educated, that he had to put on sort of a hood persona just so he didn't get his ass beat back home, really, yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, they really did show both basically Dre and and Cube. They they made them look like really good guys for the most part. I and would have liked to see more of G- DJ Yella because he's always seemed to be having a great time in the movie. Yeah, he I was didn't, just. He was I didn't just know too much about him. him. Yeah, yeah. He went on to be um, an adult film producer. Oh yeah, that's that was his career. For like a long time. Yeah, for whatever reason, I just like I said, I didn't know. I didn't know too much about him. Um, I mean, honestly, I didn't know too much about Easy E. Although I did tell ask Heather during the movie, I said he dies of AIDS, right? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. But um, but I, I just remember I was like, uh, Easy E's versus. Although now that they, I didn't realize that that Cube wrote a lot of that stuff. So now I don't. I don't really know. I just always thought that uh, the Easy E's verses were liked, really interesting because they were so. They were like so bad. Almost in a way, they were just like really, kind of crazy. He wrote like Easy E's almost his entire debut album. Well, right? I, when I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh, that makes so much sense. Why, why they, why he came in because they made him." Yeah. Like that's all. That's all Ice Cube's writing. That's not him. Yeah, he was that's the money guy, which I didn't really, yeah. I didn't know. They knew they couldn't hit back harder after No Vaseline. That's why they sent that band to jump them because they were crazy yeah 
They didn't try to come back with another diss, yeah. diss record. They were just like, okay, we got to beat them up. <laughs> so, um, as far as the music that was in this movie, for me, um, I was introduced to uh, a lot of this from my older brother. Um, he's the one that introduced me to Easy E and uh, Run DMC songs like uh, like Boys in the Hood and Colors and um, trying to remember what else he got me into. But it was interesting because before that, like uh, like eighty one ish, he's the one that got me into Van Halen and like really uh, <laughs> instrumental. Guitar rock, I remember when he played Eruption for me from Van Halen, I was like, I don't understand this. Where's the lyrics? Where's the words? And then he's like, no, this is rock music. This is a guitar solo. This is the way it sounds. And then then he introduced me to uh, the rap music. And then a little bit later, he introduced me to Metallica. And that was another thing I couldn't understand at first. I was like, how could anyone listen to this? It's so heavy and angry. Um, and it's kind of funny that he introduced me to the, the, that kind of music because it's something that he um, pretends never, ever happened and uh, just totally ignores that part of his life, that that, that, that was the kind of music that he listened to. He's, I think a lot of people have things that they um, want to hide or ashamed of or like, how could I ever wear that? But I think he was... Spice Girls for me. I was just going to ask, so... Spice World. So what is what is something um, that you would rather stay in your closet than people know about? Or, like, if you go back and you look back at things you used to do or whatever, like, that's somewhat embarrassing. I just changed my Yelp profile to what was your first concert ever, and I put uh, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> You're not really ashamed of that too much, I don't No, think. I'm not. Yeah. I mean... I don't get too ashamed. My mom put up a picture, my graduation picture, and I wrote uh, on Facebook, my comment is like, if I got embarrassed, this would probably do it. Um, for me, it was mostly just the way I dressed. And I kind of am jealous of the way I was then because I wish I had the balls to dress like that now. Because uh, I generally... I don't see why. Cause you I, looked fine. All you were wearing different now is cowboy boots. Because I generally um, do give less of a fuck now than I did then. I mean, I really don't care. I'll wear pajamas to Walmart. I, I'll do... I mean, I, I just don't care what people think anymore. But I can't, like, go out and, like, plaid sweatpants and like a vest anymore or something like that like i just i can't do that i don't know i don't know why um and i wish i wish i could i used to be a lot more like i don't know i took like early 80s rock as my fashion directive but the question that you were trying to get at was where do we get our well that's the second question so everyone okay satisfied with their answer on that one so yeah, the second one is I was talking about my brother introduced me to to that music, and then later on, most bands that I've ever um, ended up liking was introduced to me from a friend, or very rarely have I found a band on my own, and that's usually because of something like Pandora has played something. I said, oh, I like that. I'm going to look that up. Where did you guys get introduced to music, or from where, or bands you like, or just in general? Did you have one person, or what, what got you into music? Radio? Family member? Friends? Music was very much a part of my neighborhood. We lived in a really close-knit black community. My mom was the only white person in, like, two miles. <laughs> and it was kind of like a stereotypical black neighborhood where music was always playing. Everybody was always at each other's house. Like, the doors were always open during the day, and we would just go in and out. And one of the things I remember is VH1 was always on. Exactly. <laughs> always. <laughs> and so, like, 
I remember Destiny's Child being played a mm-hmm. lot, and I remember the the old school hip hop was always on in my mom's car, and it was just something I didn't really think about. I didn't really have to seek it out because it was just always there, and somebody was always yelling about it. Somebody was always yelling lyrics or rapping or screaming. <laughs> but um, recently, I started getting to my own music again, and I'm finding I like kind of the same rhythms. I like Chance the Rapper. I like Childish Gambino. I like those kind of... Um, bouncy. Bouncy kind of... <laughs> Almost. Bouncy and, and aggressive. There's yeah. a nice mix of like bounce and aggression in there that kind of reminds me of my childhood. Hmm. High energy, kind of cartoony. Yes. Yeah. Well, my best friend is uh, half black and half white, and her mother is white and her dad's black, and mm-hmm. that is what I remember too. Is yeah. <laughs> My well, my house was always open, her house was always open. Um, but our mothers listened to like uh Led Zeppelin and um 70s Pat rock. Benatar and 70s rock, and and we were into the music that your mom listened to <laughs> and and the rap and everything. And um, she is the one that loved NWA, yeah, Shakisha. And uh, I was like, eh, I don't really know. And I don't really know how we got into um, a friend of a friend introduced us to Too Short. Oh, my gosh. And then, so funny, so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know that Two Life Crew was, like, way before high school for me, but um, it went from Too Short straight into Two Life Crew and... I can pretty much sing every <laughs> Too lyric. Short and Two Life Crew were like the first like yeah. really offensive mainstream bands. <laughs> really offensive? Well, for Is the there time. anything more offensive? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't I heard to anything. Now can be pr- can rival it, but it was, but it was so clever. It was so funny. It was worth it. Yeah. It wasn't just like nasty. Fuck it wasn't the too- Omega. Fuck the Omega. <laughs> <laughs> It was just so, it was, it was really, it it kind of balanced that line between, like, comedy and poetry and music, and that's really hard to do, and it's so amazing to listen to and to hear. So my music comes from my family and my friends. I want to say I've found some music on my own. Um... I always I wonder. I can't think of how people because I, I do have friends that they always they're, they're always the ones introducing me to music and I was like how how do you guys how do you do it I mean especially now that we're not in the age of record stores or anything anymore I just especially my friends are a little bit younger than me I always just seem really like tied into stuff I used to be pretty proud of that I would always find music probably about six months before it would get hot on the radio and then I would get kind of angry. Yeah. So it'd be like, I was listening to the song last year in December, and now it's 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 June, and everyone's listening to it. Um, but honestly, a lot of that was just from reading like Rolling Stone reviews. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like to follow collaborations. I like to look at who's producing and to see if they have something solo. And that's kind of how I find stuff, which kind of makes me a little insular. You know, I found Chance oh, the Rapper like that, and Childish Camino, that, and... Um, 
hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. Yes. I saw that video way before <laughs> it ever even came out, and I fell in love with it. I knew everything, because I was like, this is totally me. And my friends, back in the 80s, we would do videos and do that shit. Like, I fell in love with it, knew everything, and then I was like, this is on the radio? And everybody's like, how do you know? And what's apparently surprising is that her new music is actually good, was what I've heard. Well, everything is. Uh, Everything's good? I like her. Everything's awesome? (laughs) I like her. (laughs) Um, Next thing I was going to talk about is, we already kind of talked about it a little bit, but just maybe your idea in the movie and your idea in life. So we talked about that they basically brought Easy in because he had the money. He was the money guy. And um, he had a certain ownership. Even though Q was writing the words, he uh, had basically owned the group because um, I don't think they really had any lawyers drop anything other than what Johnson or whatever the white white dude did. Jerry. Jerry. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one that can remember his name. <laughs> and he was, he, I mean, he, Jerry was only supposed to take 20%, and I'm sure he was taking more than that, but he, he definitely had um, some ownership too. But, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? Like, I, I do agree in certain cases on, on certain things, and like we watched it in the, um, the James Brown documentary we watched where uh, it was James Brown and the Famous Flames, and they're like, no, it's basically James Brown. He's letting you stay in the group <laughs> so because out. he insisted that he wanted you on there. But it's not always an equal thing. Um, it's not always in it together. And I know that's part of what mm, separates some bands, that the drummer thinks that he should get an equal share, even though like the guitar player and singer are the ones that write everything else, and the drummer could just basically be interchangeable. Um, it's not always a popular view, but either in music or in anything, even in, in a business, like if you put in... A bunch of money into a business and then someone else was there and making cakes for you or something do you think it should be equal or do you think that person should have just got themselves a better lawyer and figured out stuff in the beginning what do you think i that's a tough one because it's in a in a society that is you know driven by money and class um you, you pretty much have to have that that separation in an ideal world no I don't think you know there should be any difference between you know somebody who's you know they they may be working just as hard they may not be you know writing the songs or anything but they're if, if they're putting their heart and soul into the music um, there's no reason why they they shouldn't be able to share in you know some of the the glory or some of the the benefits of being part of the band well they were getting paid just not as much i think it really depends um on the situation if you're not smart enough to i mean in this in the movie situation if you're not smart enough to uh, heed your friend's advice going look you're being taken advantage of here and we're bouncing then sorry um, but usually in a business situation, um, people come up with an agreement and agreements change as things change because I might make a cake for you and then all of a sudden decide that Peanut has a, a really good talent of spraying cakes where I'm not so good and she, you know, that's where the business goes. 
And so she makes more and, and things change. And then that's when you go and talk to the lawyer and say, okay, we're going to adjust things. But well, I think the best it's, thing it's is... mostly open, open communication. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think the best thing, I think it's a little bit harder with music because you don't know. You don't know you're going to take off and be huge. But uh, like with a business or something like that, the best thing is just to be open up front. Say like, hey, I'm going to bring you in, um, but I'm getting 80% and you're going to get 20 and if you're not okay with that, that's fine. I'll get someone else that will do 20%. And then if everyone's cool with that, they're cool with that. And then if they change, well, I, changes, changes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that could be with music. If we go big, and I think that's what happens in music because I've, I've seen it. If we go big, um, we'll renegotiate. Yeah, but I also think the situation kind of molds that as well because, you know, somebody is going to, you know, and, and just the way it works is somebody's going to make more money. So are they going to well, try yeah, harder person. to make more of the money and push somebody else away just because of the situation okay. where if, if money wasn't an issue at all, would they be able to collaborate more and, and be able to participate more? But just because of the money the, issue. The person who's putting the money down gets the most money period that's what i was right. thinking yeah. and, and that's what made this period. different is that but that doesn't always happen and so in a way um you can still get screwed i really thought that that, that it was basically kind of fair because because easy did put all the money in and got the got the manager and really did everything even though everyone else was the talent for the most part mm-hmm. and it um, was fair for them to leave because easy was screwing them over yeah and they didn't really have a right to say give me a really good contract right now but they had the right to go and take the money they make with them they should have came together as a group and easy and said to to larry hey this is what we want and that was why and easy broke the group up because right. he didn't step up and do it. Yeah. And he did make a lot of easy made a lot of money off it as did Larry. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that, you know, Larry should have gotten as much uh flack as he did. Um, cuz I mean they they all knew that they were making money and It was hustling yeah. and I think that he spent his money better and I think that he didn't blow his money and he yeah. Wasn't having sex with as many women and spending all that time. And but he was definitely, dress. Larry was definitely taking more than 20%. And that's something yeah, that managers have been doing since the 60s. I mean, yeah. there's there's notorious managers that like represented um, Led Zeppelin. And uh, uh, like I just read this biography on Black Sabbath about how they had like four different manager managers that all of them... Um, we're stealing money from them. And like the one they liked is like, well, he didn't steal as much, (laughs) but they, and a lot of the managers, even going back to like chess records and like the old days, the managers would do thing. And like the James Brown thing, the manager would come and they would bring the artist a car. Or if the artist said like, I want to buy a house, they were almost like a parent or a a wife or something like here, I'll give you this money to spend for your house. How much do you need? But the artist never knew how much money they, they had ever. And um, a lot of times they're too busy touring and doing stuff to worry about it until it got later and they needed to pay legal bills or something and their accountant's like, you don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be So, me. I mean, it's great that Dre sold Beats for like $1.2 billion or whatever he sold He's it for. He's a but, CEO at Apple right now. Yeah. yeah. He does, doesn't need to be a CEO at Apple. He needs, he needs to get fired. <laughs> He doesn't need to be doing that. He just uh, no. he's on no. he's on the board. He's not a CEO. Oh yeah, he? he's he's on the board. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm confused. But either way, he doesn't. Yeah. Does he, anyone? He does beat 
That's still just as bad. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's gross. Just because anyway. you find a way to make a bunch of money doesn't Steve mean you're still Jobs, a monster. Can you come back, please? <laughs> so speaking of, we were kind of talking about um, um, Easy e and the money thing. Uh, I thought this was interesting about him in the movie. And there's certain people in life that are like this. That they are not only survivors, but they're thrivers. So he was doing whatever it took on the streets and, and making it and then totally put in a different situation and, and making it. And there's, there's certain people that they have that makeup that you could, they're like uh, mutant jackals. They could just, they just have something in them to just destroy whatever you could put them in a ice cream shop and then they'll have the biggest ice cream shop in the city or whatever. What do you think that, is that just something that comes from a survival instinct that they've learned to really hone like a, like a Darwinian thing or Probably. He probably lived in a dangerous situation and learned how to navigate that and learned how to survive. I think there's benefits to living in unconventional or dangerous situations because you you do have a higher survival instinct. I was homeless for two years and I can tell right off the bat if somebody's creepy. Yeah. Like, well, I'll be with my girlfriend, and she'll be like, oh, why don't you want to talk to that guy? I'm like, because he's a serial killer. We need to go. <laughs> we need to get the hell out of here. Well, I was never, ever put in that situation, but I definitely have um, those attributes as well. Where you just know. And, like, some people don't have that. And I think Easy had it, and then some. Yeah. Because even in the beginning, it was, uh, and I, again, I don't know how much of that's true to the story, but I'm assuming a lot of it's pretty true, when he goes to the house, and they basically surround him and have a gun pointed at him, and he's just totally fearless, just and and he, and he even knows right away something's wrong, because they're like, get my man a 40, and he's like, I'm not thirsty, and he's like, get my man a 40, he's like, bitch, I said I'm not thirsty, yeah. <laughs> like, he knows, he just yeah. wants his money and get out, and out of there, like, he just wants to do business, and he thinks that things are going to go weird, um... Yeah, some people are, are like that. They like always land on their feet somehow. Yeah. Well, I think it, you're peanuts, right? It is kind of uh, environmental. So you've got you know people that you know are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they're not going to know how to talk to people or you know be able to start a business on their own. It, it's their money that's you know keeping yeah. them afloat, and it's mommy and daddy's money, and they they don't know how to do anything on their own. Um, and then you've got the people that basically started from nothing and worked their way up. And those are the people that anything they touch, they're going to make sure uh, that it, it does well. I'm not, I'm not ambitious. I'm not driven. But I feel like if the worst happened, I could probably figure out a way to get my rent money in a couple right. weeks. Yeah. Like, I am both. I, feel like I am both because I've, I've been both. I'm very ambitious. Um, I have, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like if you're born with uh, not exactly everything, you know, what everybody's talking about, um, then you have to fight for it. Yeah. And you have to prove yourself. And you just have it. Like, I'll, I'll get it, I'll prove. I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. And then two. And then we'll see each other. That's fine to hit this baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh! 
That one sounded like me a little bit. <laughs> Getting hit or? Me just waking up in the morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? I, I, I was telling a um, heathen that it's weird is I'll go into some of these movies even before I go into the movie. I think I, I'm not going to have anything to talk about in this movie afterwards. So I really have to spend a lot of energy during the movie thinking of things that I could possibly talk about. Like going into Mr. Holmes, I'm like, what am I going to talk about with Mr. Holmes before I even saw the movie? So I thought this would be similar. And then I ended up wanting to write down a bunch of things. And I do have a pen that I can write uh, that has a little light, a little doctor's pen or pilot's pen. And I can't remember everything I wanted to talk about. I was also drinking Jaeger during the movie. It was getting me kind of... Can we talk Chatty. about the amazing thongs in that movie? They, yeah. I have never seen so many lady thongs. Like, in anything. It looked like a two-hour Cisco movie. Or Cisco music video. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's like the cover of... Uh, of, an, of uh, Two Life Crew? Two Life Crew, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. As nasty as they want to be? <laughs> that I know. Thank you. <laughs> I have done my job. Goodbye, Alicia. Bye. Oh, my. I freaked out when they did the Bye, Felicia. Yeah, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anything else that you guys want to talk about from the movie, though, before we head on to the next, the ranks? Can we talk about Suge Knight? Because I'm obsessed with them. Because I'm yeah. terrified of them. I'm thinking about them all the time. Um, I, I don't. I. I. I like the casting. I still don't think they made him menacing enough, though. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't show one-tenth of the horrifying crap that he pulled yeah. during that time period. That guy that they showed, like, they, he was being attacked by the dog, they kept him there for, like, a month <laughs> in a cage. Well, I'm just saying the actor didn't radiate, like, yeah, menace too much. He too just, Yeah, he too. just was like a happy janitor. Yeah, he was. <laughs> He's uh, like, oh, somebody's being tortured? Let me smoke the cigar. Now, on the other hand, the guy, and I mentioned this, the guy that got to play Snoop Dogg, um, I thought, you know, like I said, kind of looked like Dave Chappelle, but the way he talked sounded just like Snoop Dogg, and it was making me laugh, just like, just as lines, because I was just like... I still liked it. It was making me, it was cracking me up. Nobody else can be Snoop Dogg, except for Snoop Dogg. He was doing doing a pretty good job. Pretty much. Pretty much nailed it. As soon as he walked in, I was like, oh, Snoop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was good. They didn't have to have the... Yeah, they didn't yeah. have to... The Tupac guy looked pretty much like Tupac. He looked... I know. I was, like, immediately attracted yeah. to him. I was like, hello, Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to call him One Pac. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. So any other things in the movie? They did. They hinted at the East Coast, West Coast thing with Shrimp Knight. Yeah, they, I don't think they had time to get into it, which I think. Was I a thought good they were. I thought they were going to get into it. I thought they at were going to more. I think it was a good like decision I thought they were going to. Yeah, I wasn't sure how long the but, movie was going to go. I'm like, they cons- this is this is a way longer yeah. conversation than the movie is going to allow. They, they consolidated yeah. a lot of that part because it was about NWA and NWA didn't have a lot. Well, Dre and Suge Knight did. Yeah. So um, I was going to say, yeah. They cause... hinted at it with, with Shrug Knight. Um, but NWA Ice Cube, I don't think got into it. No. And I, got, I just kept getting, that was another thing I kept talking, is I kept wanting really to name good. all the... Uh... And I thought for sure, and that's why they probably shouldn't have brought Tupac into it. 
Because that's immediately where my mind Then when I went. thought, yeah. I thought when Tupac came in, then I thought they were going to go there. I, then they, they should have left that. That's when I was like, okay, how many <laughs> rappers are they going to bring in? Yeah, and, that, and they really forced that part in there because I was reading uh, the song that Tupac was doing when they when Dre wanted him to do um, California Love. Is like that song came out like two years later. Yeah. Like they yeah. just started messing with the timeline a little bit just to get things in there. Yeah, they um, could have taken well, that whole thing out. Well, to be fair though, that was just the first time he played him the sample. He didn't lay it down and yeah. he didn't write anything to it, so it's possible. But because he just. Two years Just is still a stretch. For the movie, yeah. they could have completely taken Tupac out yeah. and everything would have been okay in my mind. So if they if they ended the movie pretty much right after Easy died, that would have been 1995. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Tupac was still alive in 95. Yeah. Was he it was right getting, around there. It was close to when he was getting like really erratic, right? When he was getting really crazy. I think so. I think so, but I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen Tupac Resurrection. Just another one of my favorites. Oh, we should all watch that. Cause <laughs> that's when... But it picks up. Yeah. It, it would dovetail nicely. And O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah, and all of that. It's like, eh. I want to go see Friday. I said that four times in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go see Friday again. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm going to move on to the ranks. Okay. <laughs> the five. And I'll let you rank these peanuts, even though you, I think you already did something similar. I believe it was okay. on the podcast. I don't know if we did it on the podcast or not. But I have five, uh, we'll call them rappers that were in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you rank them. Okay. I'll give I you this paper. Li- I'll give yeah, it to you. So we have Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Tupac, and Easy e at the bottom because his livery wasn't that great. <laughs> Tupac's gonna be towards the top. I think it's gonna be Dr. Dre, Tupac, Ice Cube. No. So Are you going from there. the cake to the cream? She's jumping around. I know. <laughs> jumping around a little bit. I'm jumping around. It's, it's hard. Like once you look at these, because like I know five, Snoop needs to be at the top. Five to one. <laughs> well, probably Snoop should be Snoop, number one. Snoop shouldn't be number one. Well, let, who, what's let her the do, list? Let her do her list. Eva. Okay, the list. You always do this. <laughs> the list is Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Tupac, and Easy E. Okay, well, Snoop. Yeah, Eden, and, let her do her list. I'm no, just going to say. I'm not putting Snoop at the top. I didn't say he was going to be at the top. Okay. All I was going to say was. This is a 30 second tea. bit. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got my list. Okay. Dr. Dre, Tupac, Ice Cube, Snoop, Easy. I agree with that, other than I'd flip Ice Cube and, and, Snoop, and uh, Snoop. That's uh, that's what I had a hard time with. But. Yeah. Hmm. Just I'm not a huge. There's there's some Ice Cube songs I like, but I'm just not a huge huge Ice Cube fan. But I, but I like some. For the some. writing though. Yeah. For the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his delivery wasn't as good. And Dre, like I listened to 2001: The Chronic like a billion times. Yeah. I know. So. I wanted to buy it, but I was like, Suge Knight's getting that money. And he's he just released his first album since then, not, uh, like last week. Not if you yeah. used Napster. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Is Napster still around? No, but back then. <laughs> So I'm going to go into Last Call. Last Call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. 
Last call. So, he then any last words? I don't think so. It's good to have peanut. Yay! That was very good. <laughs> what is this I'm doing? What's it called? That's the cabbage patch. The cabbage patch? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so good at it. <laughs> Surprised yeah. I knew that. Actually, I think I just—I think I just asked Heathen like a month ago because um, I—I know these dances, but I don't know the names. I think I asked her, "What's the Cabbage Patch?" She's like, "Is this?" I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. I think the only one I know is the Running Man because it fits what it—the name sounds like what yeah. it is. And the Roger Rabbit, I think I know yeah. what that is too. But uh, uh, you also have to do something with your feet. Too. I know I can't. I've tried it. I can't do the feet and the hands at the same time. So that's why I only do what I say. Uh, I yeah. can do the feet. That's why. You, that's why you need a partner. The partner. Your partner could do the feet part, and you could yes. do the hand part. I'll do the feet. You You'll can do, do the, the hands, feet, yeah. and it'll be great. And then I'll just announce what's happening. It'll be horrible. Uh, beer maker Matt, any last words? Nope. Look forward to some beer coming soon. We'll be making some beer soon. Peanut, any last words? No, thank you for having me back. It was fun. I love it. Next week we are seeing end of the tour. And that may be the last Tuesday movie we're doing, right? Or are we doing one more after that? No, we have a lot of people that are going to jump up and start hosting. So we're excited. So we'll see. We might start going back to the Netflix movies a little bit. Uh, Eugene might come back on. Oh, everybody needs to finish Infinity Jest by then. It's a thousand page book or something, and I heard that most yeah. people don't finish it. <laughs> no, I got to chapter four in like six months. <laughs> um, we'll probably talk about it next week, but Jason Siegel uh, joined a book club and our book group in like San Francisco so they would make him read it so he could understand it. Nobody <laughs> understood. I, I, I mean, apparently, the book again, this all should be for next week. Apparently, the book is really amusing. It's not That's like that hard of a book to read. Week. But. <laughs> So playing us out this week. I have um, no idea what you're talking about. I guess these guys heard that we were doing straight out of Compton, so they got excited and wanted to represent Reno. These guys called F. Oh. FWA. Yeah, you really need to listen to this. So kid. they wanted to represent. They said Reno's hard as well. So, so what's what's I'm not F, sure what's, how hard Reno is? Oh, it is. It's straight freaking hard. Now, and I said freaking. Uh, what's what's FWA? I don't know. They sent a press packet. Uh, I think that one of the guys said it's uh, fellas with allergies or something. Like that. I, guess, okay. I guess they're they're pretty big. I've never heard of them. But. They're a big deal. On that antihistamine tip. Yeah. Check it. <laughs> Check it.
ready for the next one? Are you ready for the next one? You ready for the next one? So come on, let's get it on. Hey, Brand. Yo. Hey, Brand. Yo. Where are you from? I'm from Reno. Burning Man, come down to my camp. Covered in tats, you and all tramp stamp. I drive Jeeps and lowered Subarus. Never been in a fight, but gangster attitude. Reno crawl down at the arch, wearing cheap kicks, sidestepping off. Hey bum, don't look at me hard. I only roll with mama's credit card at the nugget. Cooking off some ribs, looking for girls, cause I like some big out in Cali. She may be a five here in Reno. Attend with them thighs, party at my place tonight. Drugging up girls, they ain't gonna fight when you get here. Creep out like a mouse, taking the bus to rob your house. Cause I'm straight, 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 straight out of Reno. 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 But out my butthole, wanna get with me? Pretty easy, hooking since the 1960s. My dick's beating every venereal disease, but honestly, burns when I pee. I'm old, still tickle petunia, sexual black magic, darker than Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Bought two G's of Viagra, pop a couple blues, then I'm gonna stab ya, not with a knife that's pretty whack. I'll use my Harry Pecker on your ass crack. I got more numbers than playing Keno, oh my heart. I'm straight out of Reno! <laughs> Seriously, guys. Guys. Oh. FWA! Fellas with allergies! The city of. It's Nevada, bitch. That's right. Guys. Can someone call 911? Guys? I'm a Sunday school teacher now. You can't tag me on this shit anymore. <laughs> I miss Eugene. <laughs> you can keep the conversation to after the podcast. Okay. Ooh. Yum. So root beer is better than the naughty ice, surprisingly. Now it's going to be extra bad. I don't need that, actually. There's nothing else to talk about.